was good, Revolutionaries. Revolutionaries was good. Today's episode is brought to you by the Rogue Media Group, which is a veteran-led integrative marketing agency with affiliated networks that reach nearly 1 million multicultural professionals, business owners, and public policymakers. RMG, as it's affectionately known, was founded in 2013 by my dude, Maximilian Hamilton, and has grown from a single offering to a multifaceted media company that offers everything from media planning and buying to written content development, sponsorship consulting, and conference development, as well as digital marketing, custom video, DEI strategy, personal branding, and speaker sourcing. RMG's signature program, one that I was able to MC last year, is the fifth annual Fuel, the Ultimate Men's Summit. It will take place this year in November, the 9th through the 12th, 2023, in Houston, Texas. The annual summit is a gathering of 500 plus CEOs, professionals, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. Participants will explore and discuss advancing the mobility of black professionals, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. The summit will include a golf outing, panel discussions, keynotes, breakout sessions, and awards recognition, and guess this, a celebration of hip hop's 50th anniversary. To learn more about RMG and Fuel, the Ultimate Men's Summit, visit www.roguemg.com. And now, let's get ready for the show. What's your revolution? What's your revolution? Emmy nominated top 10 billboard recording artists. D1, what's your revolution? So my revolution is to be real, righteous, and relevant. (laughs) My revolution as D1 is to be real, righteous, and relevant in pursuit of my God-given purpose and to inspire anyone who hears my music or my voice to be real, righteous, and relevant in pursuit of their God-given purpose. Period. Drop the mic. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's a Revolution show. A show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. What's good, revolutionaries? I hope all is well and that you are doing your thing. So many times on this show, you've heard me talk about my beloved New Orleans. And it is always, always wonderful to talk about what New Orleans means to me and what it has given to me over the last 17 years. I remember buying my home in Metairie, Louisiana, going to Tulane, August 22nd, 2005, seven days before Hurricane Katrina. But what happened in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina was that there was the city went through a renaissance. The city is known for its artistry and its love of each other, love of its people and its collaborations, its community. And that's what I loved about New Orleans, that it allowed you to figure out who you were and that you could bring yourself up in that city, that you could rise the tide of the Mississippi and come out on the other side, something bigger and greater. 
And that's what I love about New Orleans because it, it made me a better person. It made me learn how to persevere. It made me learn how to be with the people, how to talk to folks, you know, to say, say, bruh, how you feel? You know, it was interesting. I was uh, with some family, uh, with some family and, and I said, I went to Tulane and brother, brother ran to his room and got his Tulane gear and hat. And I said, say, bro, and he just looked at me. And he's like, yeah, you know, you know how to talk to the people. That's what we do down in New Orleans. And so I began to think as I think about missing home, like who is an indication? Who is a who is a beacon of light? Who is a icon when it comes to New Orleans culture and New Orleans music? And I had to give a shout out to my dude, my guy, my boy, D1. I, look, let me give this brother his flowers before he even says anything. I want I want you to know D1, right? D1, top 10 Billboard recording artists, right? Emmy nominated, NAACP award winning rapping. As, as you see, when you see the visually inclined, this brother is wearing a Harvard Scully. He is the Nasir Hip Hop Fellow at Harvard. Can you can you imagine that? Right. Coming coming from New Orleans East. Right. LSU. I want I want to say it was Ottoman Montessori School was the elementary school that he went to. Right. All the way from New Orleans to Harvard. Brother, I am honored. I am honored. I am humbled to have D1 on my show. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm doing amazing. And I'm I'm just thankful that I'm in a space where. You know, I, that type of intro lets me know that you really genuinely, you know, honor who I am and what it is that I'm contributing to this this world while while God has me here. So thank you. You know, it just it means a lot to be in a space where I don't feel like I'm trying to prove myself so much mm-hmm. about hip hop and so much about the world. Even as a black man, it feels like you're always trying to prove yourself to mm-hmm. people. But um, it, it's very refreshing to enter a space where I already feel uh, celebrated and, and loved. So I appreciate you, man. And that's what this, that's what this show is about, brother, or uh, admiration and love and respect to you, brother, because it takes a lot to go out in the world and be who we are as black men. Right. And to put ourselves out in the world, especially when we have talents, right? Because it, it, it takes a level of guile. It takes a level of vulnerability. It takes a level of, as my father would say, a level of perseverance that if you if you're going to create something that is going to move folks, we are of African descent, right? When you think about this, right? When we take things that are going to move folks, it takes our ability to say, "I I need to be something different in the world." I want to ask you. I want to ask you, what makes you different in this world from anybody else? What's that story? So what makes me different is I've thought about this many days and many nights, and it's a unique combination of opposing elements that comprise who David Augustine Jr., a.k.a. D1 Mm. is. So it's being able to come from New Orleans East, where at the time I was growing up in the neighborhood I was growing up, it's called the Goose. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of violence. It's a lot of poverty. But it's being able to go across town to Audubon Montessori Elementary and Middle School, which is near Tulane and Loyola's campuses. And, you know, me seeing other cultures, me seeing, you know, other income brackets, me seeing other students with different life experiences and perspectives than what's going on on my block. 
So it's that it's that unique balance. It's me going to Ghana as a young teenager mm. from New Orleans and being able to not only see what's going on in the goose, but see what's going on in a cry and see how they're valuing education. It's me listening to the Hot Boys and to No Limit Records growing up in New Orleans. But it's me also listening to this brother from Queensbridge Projects in uh, mm. in New York named Nasia yes. Jones and being like, man, I'm drawn to Lil Wayne and Juvenile, but I'm also drawn to Nas just as much. And it's, you know, it's all of these unique things. It's me being the captain of the basketball team, but also being in the in the chess club. You know, it's, yes. it's, these, it's these opposing forces that people would normally think, well, they don't go together. If you're this, you're not that. If you're that, you're not this. And I'm all of it. And because I'm all of it, that's part of what makes me different. So it's me choosing to be a rapper after becoming a college graduate and having experience as a middle school teacher and choosing to get into the rap game, not from a place of please, please, please accept me, not from a place mm. of I'm desperate and if I can't make it in the rap game, I'm either going to be dead or in prison, but getting into the rap game intentionally to change the game and to be yes. different and to to reshape the narrative of what people see as a rapper from Louisiana. I didn't want to be a person that, okay, you have to fit into the same stereotype that we think of because I remember growing up and anytime I would travel out of state for basketball tournaments and we tell them we're from New Orleans, there's this one idea that they have of, oh, you young, black, and a male from New Orleans, man, y'all must, y'all, y'all are all some gangsters down there. Y'all ready to yeah, kill somebody. Y'all, uh, y'all, y'all must got all. that fire. You got that yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah, that. And I'm just like, I'm like, some of the things that you love or have heard about New Orleans, I am that. I'm, I'm all of that. But there's some other things that you have heard or maybe um, boxed us into being that I'm actually bigger than, than that. You know, uh, that, that's, that's something that, doesn't have to be celebrated, you know, in, in terms of the 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 narrative that New Orleans is just about murder and Mardi Gras. You know, that's not something mm. to celebrate. That's something to understand what contributes to the high murder rate in New Orleans and to not run away from that and to confront those issues head on. But then when, when we think about the Mardi Gras element and the partying and the having fun, that is something to be able to uh, feel great about it, understand where does that joy come from? You know, there's a lot of people who, even when they're happy on their happiest days, they aren't able to exude the type of joy that we exude in New Orleans. So it's me being able to embrace all of that stuff, but not be boxed in to that stuff. Brother, uh, brother, thank you so much. And so, so much in that the synopsis that I hear is that if we, if we really want to separate ourselves in the world, we have to think about the, you know, you, you think about the gumbo. I'm, you know, I'm going to bring it all back to my, you know, our, our New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? You think about that gumbo. You're bringing in and, and, and how was the, the history of the gumbo, right? Knowing that the, the roots of the gumbo is that we were taking certain items that they were given to us so we could create a delicacy, brother. Right. Mm -hmm. You think of D1 as a as a music delicacy for us. That is an amalgamation, right, of all of these different things. I'm not just going to take the hot boys, right? I'm just not going to take Wheezy and Juvenile, right? I'm, I'm going to take all of these seasonings that allow me to create something, right, that is, that is delectable to the ear of folks, right? That is New Orleans-based through and through, but has elements of a worldview. That's what I love when we think about revolutions of black men, 
right? When we think about that, those greatest revolutionaries were the ones that were free-minded, that were open-minded, that allowed themselves to see things that were greater, that they went out and experienced things that they had never had. The interesting thing, D, is that I, I remember this statistic after after the storm, and there were there was a large percentage of, of New Orleanians that had never left the city, mm-hmm. had never been across the bridge. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Can you ima- uh, imagine how you haven't seen the war? But what happened, you know, when folks got on those buses for Hurricane Katrina and they had seen they were going to Utah and Nevada and California and New York and Maine, they're like, wait. There's something different. Now, many folks came back because New Orleans has a New Orleans has a flair and seasoning unlike any other place in the world. But when you have the ability to see something different, it gives you a gravitas. It gives you a, a, a grounding, gives you a, an earthiness that allows you to create something yes. better, bigger and different. And that's what D1 is. That is what D1 music is. It is an amalgamation. It is a gumbo that we've never tasted before. And so... Thank you, dear brother, because I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking about the Soul Rebels. I'm, I'm thinking about the Brassaholics. I'm thinking about the second line music that happens on Sundays that are so New Orleans. But when you think of D1, you think of all of that and more. So, brother, wow. thank you for thank you for all that you do. But one thing that you said, I want to I want to break this down for a second. Are you? Everybody- I don't mean to interrupt, brother. Are you into poetry? Because you, <laughs> the way the way you're putting the words together, I'm like this brother is spitting some 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 poetic bars, man. Thank you. Are you? Do you do poetry at all? I do not. Okay. <laughs> this, okay. This, this is my this is my poetry right here. This is this this is my zone of genius. Being and I get excited. I'm look look. I got an Emmy nominated, you know, Billboard top ten brother on the show. This is this is my catalyst. This is my excitement here, brother. So it, okay. it is because of you that I have the ability to spit like this. Right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but I want to talk something about David Augustine Jr. Right. Tell me a little bit about the story of who that is, not D1, but the folks that your folks know, right? The folks that your people, that when you go back to the block, when you go back to the goose, because what happens when you talk on these other interviews, you're talking about D1. I want to know about David Augustine Jr. Who is he? What is he like? How did he grow up? Right. So the question to who David is, is really is really simple because I have taken David with me into the rap game. It's not like I had to divorce myself from David to turn into D1. D1 is just a more well-known, uh, outgoing version of who David is. And that's the beautiful part is people who knew David growing up, they they don't look at D1 and say, who is that guy? They look, <laughs> they look at D1 and say, yeah, like that's that's David just with a microphone, you know, with, with a microphone in his face and, and mm. with with uh with a big platform and a lot of people mm. paying attention to him. So that's the beautiful part. What shaped David into David, first of all, I mean there's no way to escape it. It was definitely a very loving family from yeah. from parents to grandparents that really poured into me in in a way to where I think the main thing I've taken from my family is that they just have really pure spirits and good mm. character. Like that, that is, I could sit here and say what I haven't, you know, gotten from them or, or what, what we went without, but 
none of that stuff overshadows what was the norm. And what's always been the norm for me is to be in an environment where my parents and grandparents were literally people who wanted to leave this world better than they were brought into it. Uh, So then how they were brought into it. So that means that whatever they chose to do, I come from a family of all the men have been blue collar workers prior Mm -hmm. to me. So my grandfather was a plasterer. Uh, he's 92 years old, still, wow. still, still moving, moving, still doing mm. great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My grandpa is amazing. Um, my, my pops, he was a welder his whole career. So, you know, waking up every morning, driving from New Orleans East to reserve Louisiana, almost an hour away to put in work as a welder on the river and then still make it back in time for my baseball practices or my yeah. basketball games and things of that nature. So I, I, I saw a very strong work ethic from my father and my grandfather. But I also saw, I also saw my grandmother start her own transportation service and, and be that person to where her hospitable personality, she was able to flip that into, she's going to be, you know, the, the woman that picks students up on their way to school and has a van service to where she drives them to school all around New Orleans, you know, um, and picks them up from school and drops them back home. She was also the Hucklebug lady, you know, the lady who made frozen yeah, cups yeah. on the block. Yeah. So yeah. she was the person, people pulling up to, to to the front door and they um they wanted to come and get a Hucklebug and get, you know, get a frozen cup from my grandma. And I'm seeing her be able to, you know, make that little pocket change just to, yeah. just to have, yeah. have, not only have money, but to have, uh, to have a, to be a stakeholder in her community to where mm. she was a source of people wanting to come to her to experience some sort of joy and some sort of, you know, wholesome pleasure, you know, um, something that she was able to do, feed people, provide people with, uh, you know, with, with a snack, something, something nice. I saw her work at, at, at the church for, I mean, basically my whole childhood, you know, she would volunteer and she would work at, at the church that we attended in New Orleans. I saw my grandpa just be so well-respected by all of his peers and him tell me all these stories of how he grew up. I had like firsthand knowledge of what it was like to grow up as a black man in New Orleans in the forties and in the fifties. And I'm hearing all these stories, um, you know, from a perspective of what he went through and what he had to persevere through. So that really like that had more of an impact on me than rap music that had Mm. more of an impact on me than, what my friends were getting off into, you know, as we, we grow up and yeah, you got friends who take different routes in life and some of them go to jail. Some of them get into um, problems that, you know, they end up being victims of gun violence. And I, I was around all this and, and, and I speak about that often, my best friend being murdered in my old neighborhood and, and, you know, me just having another friend that's doing 25 years right now in prison. Like, yeah, that was a part of my upbringing, but that never overshadowed the 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 wholesome love and character that that my family, you know, poured into me. So that was always the foundation that I, you know, walked into school with, that I walked onto the playground yes. with, that even when I got to college, that I walked onto a college campus with, that I walked into the rap game with, that I walk onto social media with. It's it's just David being, you know, grounded with this yes. foundation of like love and just really good character from mm. his family. That's 
probably a long-winded way of it's describing beautiful. who David is. So David is is that plus, you know, whatever comes along with being raised in New Orleans and seeing a whole lot, being exposed to a whole lot of different um, walks of life and, and, and having different experiences that I went through that it might not be everybody's, you know, norm and stuff in terms of some of the stuff I saw and some of the stuff that I had to endure. But all of that stuff, it's about how do you respond to mm-hmm. violence? How do you respond to uh, uh, discrimination or, or people, you know, trying to, yeah, trying to trying to minimize your dreams and whatnot. How do you respond to it? And I find that the way I've responded to any adversity in life was definitely shaped by that foundation that came from my family. So that's Brother. that's it. So for anybody watching this, that's how much power you have as a parent, as a grandparent, mm-hmm. as an uncle. Mm-hmm. You heard me. Yeah, oh, there it is. There you heard me, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm enamored with that answer, brother, because we, we think about the black family, right? And and there's been so much disparity when it comes to the black family and all, all of the nefarious things that I've said about black folks and the black family, that the nuclear black family does not exist or all of these things. It's not true. It's not true. You, you, you're sitting at Harvard, right? You, you're seeing all these folks, right? I'm sitting here with a PhD, the, the groundedness of what our families were able to do, right? What you, what you said about your father is the same thing that I saw about my father, dear brother, right? That the ability for them to pour work ethic and great values. My mother, just like your grandma, entrepreneur, when it needed a little side hustle, she started selling jewelry, mm-hmm. costume jewelry. I got to see entrepreneurship very, very early. I, I, I mean, I love it. I'm enamored with entrepreneurship. But I got to see this woman who said, you know what? I found a passion. I found something that I love. It builds community. I get to interact with other women. I get to trust them. It's, it's something that I love to do. It gets me out of the house, right? Even now at 82, she's still, the, the, her, her jewelry room is still full where folks still come over D and say, hey, can you dress me up? Can you dress me up for the next ball? Right. <laughs> you know, can you put something on? And that's the wonderful thing, because if I think about this whole thing that I'm going to weave about you, D, is that even though the, the goose and the, 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 the I'm going to say the opportunity to be exposed to violence, the chances to be exposed to violence, the actual the actual experience of violence are trumped by the ability to walk into a home that is loving and caring and protected. And that not only has a father who goes out to work every day, a pawpaw, right? Mm-hmm. As we, as we say in new Orleans, yeah. that, that, that shows you who you are, but a grandmother and a mother to say, Hey, we got you. We are going to surround you. We are going to protect you. And then guess what? We're going to push you out into the world, dear brother, our mm-hmm. son, because guess what we see? Guess what we see, D? Mm. We see we see greatness in you. Greatness, yep. We see greatness in you, dear brother, and that is a wonderful thing. And you know, I give a shout out. I lost my father September sixteenth, September sixteenth of of this year. Mm. My father said every day, "You are greater than what you think you are." You are further along than where you were when you started. You think about D1 and 09 with J50 and Wheezy. You are further along now, dear brother, than you were back then. It's 2022, brother. Yes. You know? And so, again, 
our families are everything to us, dear brother. And you know yes. what we do. And, I, and thank you for thank you for sharing this story. I would be remiss. I, I've got to ask you this question, brother. What's your revolution? So my revolution is to be real, righteous, and relevant <laughs> in everything that I do, man. That is that is my revolution, and to inspire anyone who my music or my voice is able to reach to also be real, righteous, and relevant in pursuit of their God-given purpose. Mm. So that's that. my revolution. I'm going to say that again. My revolution as D1 is to be real, righteous, and relevant in pursuit of my God-given purpose and to inspire anyone who hears my music or my voice to be real, righteous, and relevant in pursuit of their God-given purpose. Period. Mm. Drop the mic. Boom. Boom. (laughs) I love it. Period. So we're going to deep, we're going to do a deeper dive, man. Break down those three. Like let's really to be real means what to you? So does that mean? Yeah. Realness is all about two things. It's about authenticity. And I I learned authenticity and embraced authenticity uh, at an early age because I realized that I wasn't all the way this or all the way that. So in in every sense of the word. So I'm the person who, you know, us being kind of shaped and molded by the music we listen to and would not naturally a lot of people would want to emulate their favorite artists. So when I'm with my friends and we taking pictures, pictures, for example, I noticed that I was like a lot of my friends. We just take on the persona of our favorite rappers. And one thing is. When it come when it's picture time, ain't nobody trying to smile. It's like hard stone face, you know, mean mug, right? Me, I was like, bro, I'm always wanting to smile, man. Like I'm just, it's a picture. Like I'm, I'm, I'm happy from in here. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm happy from, from in here, from in my spirit. So I want to exude that. So I was like, hold on, I got. Uh, Take your time, brother. Like, Take, right, yeah, yeah I, I know that. I know. I know that life. <laughs> yeah. So, so that being said, I was like, all right. I don't all the way fit into, you know, this box of even being exactly like my friends. Um, I don't all the way fit into the box of being a person that goes to a really good school that doesn't really stress athletics, but being like, well, hey, I'm a scholar and an athlete. You know, I'm, I'm the person who was on the news for being like the A plus athlete in high school and saying, oh, this this brother is achieving big in the classroom. He's a you know national achievement scholar, but at the same time, he's dropping twenty points a game on a basketball court. And that was something where I said, you know what, I need to embrace the authenticity, even yes. eat, like all the things that make me different and make me like stand out from a crowd. Instead of trying to tuck that away, being real is about saying I'm proud of this stuff. I'm proud yes. of the things that may make me different. So that's what that's what realness is about. Um being righteous. The the second one. When I say be righteous, I grew up in a time where doing the right thing was often considered to be like wrong or corny or mm-hmm. lame, you know, and doing the wrong thing would often get glamorized and mm. and popularized to where I saw firsthand, I saw somebody that was like my twin literally fall victim to the pressures of doing the wrong thing, but being celebrated for it. And I realized when I say be real and then be righteous, I realized that it's important for young people and adults 
to understand that doing the right thing is always right. Even if you're not celebrated mm. for it, even mm. if it's not popular in the space that you're in, even if it's even if it's hard, even if it's taxing on your spirit, doing the right thing is always right. And doing the wrong thing is always going to be wrong. And it's OK to make mistakes and it's OK. No one is no one is going to be perfect. But it is about at least being able to acknowledge the difference between what's yeah. right and what's wrong, you know. Right. And I think that we live in a world nowadays to where we assume that if something is successful, that, oh, that must be the right thing because it, it blew up. It got big. You know, that that business took off or that 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 rapper's career took off. So even though their their most popular song is a song about them killing people and selling dope to their own community. Hey, they must be doing the right thing because it blew up. And it's like, nah, we can't attribute uh we can't attribute worldly success to to moral righteousness. And right. I think that there's mm. a difference. There's a difference yeah. there between, yeah, material success and moral righteousness. There's a lot of people with a lot of money in the bank, but morally they're bankrupt. You know what yeah. I mean? Brother, yes, yes, Absolutely yes, I do. Morally. And so when I say be real, it's about authenticity. It's about being righteous, knowing the difference between, you know, moral righteousness and just being celebrated for material possessions or worldly success. And finally, being relevant. When I talk about being relevant, that's saying that in whatever work you were called to do, whatever your God given purpose is, you want to make impact and income. You know, we we all we mm. all think that that being relevant is about, hey, what's that bank account looking like? And as long long as I'm doing well over there, then that means that I'm relevant in what I do. But to be relevant means that there's a lot of other people out here that want your position, that want your spot, that that want the the accolades that come along with success. But being relevant is about being significant and not just famous. You know what mm. I mean? Like there's, yes, there's, yes, there's, yes. There's, there's a lot of people who literally just want your spot because they see the platform that you're on or they understand some of the the blessings that come along with being in a certain position. But just because you're famous doesn't mean you're significant. I know rappers who have sold a million records, but they ain't changed no lives for the better. None, you know? zero. Yeah, and, and being relevant is like what it does for me is it makes me have to work hard and harder than the people who I know don't have the same mission as me, but who I know have strong work ethics. So just because you hit a glorify something righteous or positive or, or be a man or a woman of God, that doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success or relevance in the industry that you're in. There's a lot of people who are conspiring to do a lot of negative things or who are perpetuating a bunch of um, hatred and evil in this world, but they work hard. So we can't deny one thing I won't do is ever deny someone's work ethic. So when I see the people who are putting out the negativity in the world and the, and the hatred and the divisiveness and the discriminatory messages, when I see that they work hard, that should inspire a man of God that's really yes. righteous to want to yes. be relevant as well and say, well, I'm going to work harder than them because what I'm what I'm packing is what the world needs more of. You heard me? Say it so again. I yes. Yeah. So that's what being real righteous and relevant is all mm. about. It's the trifecta. Right. That's and that's the masterclass right there. Be yourself. Do the right thing and yep. make impact in the world. Mm. Mm. That's it. Mm. Make Poetry. impact. 
<laughs> ah, that's it, brother. I, I I love it, brother. I, I love it because it 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 is a blueprint for success. It is a blueprint for people's lives, right? You and you've been saying this for a long ever since I've known you. That's that that's what you've been saying, right? And it has not wavered, mm-hmm. right? Be real, be righteous, be relevant. And all of those things, those are the equations for us as we think about how to be revolutionary, right? Right. For some of it to be revolutionary, because the last part is really, really key in that equation. And what you said to be relevant, right? Because both of us are on social media, you've got bigger following. But think about when you, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to kids, when I'm talking to corporations, what I ask people, pull out your phones. Mm. Who are you following? Mm. Who are the first 10 accounts that come up on your screen? Right. Right. If, if it's junk, if it's mess, right, then you have to think about what you think is relevant in your life. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's the thing, right? Mm. Sometimes we got to flip that. We got to flip this. We, we got to, sometimes we even got to blow up the whole account. Say, I need to unfollow. I need to, I, because this is not relevant or this is not making me relevant or I can't be relevant because of who I'm following. Mm. You think about, I can't be real. I can't be righteous because I'm following, I'm following folks, like you said, who are not doing the right things. And that, and that's the wonderful thing. If we're going to be revolutionary in our lives, we have to figure out how we not only impact ourselves, but we impact others. And that leads me to this, right? You're you're impacting folks with your music, right? We haven't even talked about that. We've just been excited about David Augustine Jr. But I, I, now let's jump into D1. Mm-hmm. Your music has an impact on the world, but it's different. The whole theme of this conversation is different. How did you come up with this style and this genre? Because you are a category starter. What was the impetus for D1 style of music? Great, great, great question. So for me, I wanted to be a bridge between two worlds that I was influenced by musically. I was definitely influenced by uh, street music, uh, music you know that was that was talking about violence and poverty and and drugs these were things that i saw honestly growing up in new orleans and i was influenced by that music hands down but i was also influenced by the real life experience of being a teacher being a middle school teacher and interfacing with my students on a daily basis and understanding that what they needed was not more music that was simply glorifying the elements of the street life but what they needed was something that incorporated those elements, but translated that energy into something that could be constructive and productive towards them being able to grow in a in a more uh, in a more positive, righteous direction. So instead of wanting to emulate exactly what they were hearing verbatim, it was almost like we need a revolution in terms of what can be created and offered to them. So offering something different. I just wanted to be a different item on the menu. You know, when, when you look at the menu of what was being offered musically, I was just like, hey, I want to be the person that has the flavor and the taste of what I know they're drawn and attracted to. But who is coming with a different perspective because I see and understand 
what they need because I'm in the classroom with them on a daily yeah. basis. So yeah. you mix a brother that's in church on Sundays with a brother who, you know, grew up in the streets and seeing and understanding violence and poverty. You mix a brother who graduated college and was a teacher with someone who has this infectious charisma and this ability to just, you know, excite people with my presence and with my energy. You mix all that together. And most of all, you put it in the context of a brother who understands his purpose in life and understands that whatever I'm doing, my goal is to once again, be able to be real righteous and relevant while carrying out my God given mission. And key word is God because we can have many missions that don't involve God. And if it doesn't involve God, those missions could take us in all kinds of directions in this world. But my genre of music and my ability to be a, like you said, a, a, a genre starter, you know, comes from me understanding that I'm not, I'm not like anybody else who yeah. I grew up listening to. I, I'm not all the way this. So it's like if Nas was a hot boy, you know, then, okay, that might be D1. You know, if Lauren Hill and Tupac had a son, that might be, you know, a little light-skinned baby somehow, you know, that might, that might be D1. And I realized that that didn't necessarily exist, uh, but that was great. And that's what made me say, I want to be a rapper because I can add a texture and a layer to the mm. game that doesn't exist already. And that's that's exciting for me. Not it's, it's, it's not exciting to live a life where I'm just wanting to be a replica of something that already exists, that the world already has. I don't want to be a replica of something that the world already has. Brother, I work with startups all, all day long, every day, right? And, and we think about entrepreneurship and startup culture. The best companies are the ones that figure out how to do something different that people are clamoring for, right? That, that people are clamoring for, but they do it in a different way than any other company. Mm. Mm. And that's D1, right? You, mm. you, you think about that, right? Mm. This, um, as, as I said, this amalgamation, this gumbo that is D1, folks said, I want to taste something different. I want to hear something different. You don't curse, right? And the, the, the thing about it is, is and I'm, I'm going to bring this up in the question, is that God is at the foundation of who you are. Mm-hmm. You talk about God. You, 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 I, I want to say I was listening to the three brothers. He was like, God is in every lyric that you say at mm. some point. Mm-hmm. That's something different. But like you said, I'm thinking about my students. I'm thinking about my impact. I'm thinking about my relevancy to the mm-hmm. world. I'm creating a genre of music that allows my students to look up and say, you know what? That was Mr. Augustine. That was my teacher. Right. I can listen to his music. And guess what? He's a best-selling musician. Mm-hmm. I too can be like that. Mm-hmm. We say here on the show all the time, D, is that your revolution is not just for you. Mm. And I'm sure that when you started thinking about who you were going to be as a musician, who you were going to be as a rapper, you thought of those students that you were te- teaching in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. You thought about them and saying, I want to go out and make something greater for them. I am, I am, a, 
an idol. And I say this, I say this in, in, in the greatest way. I am an idol for them to look at down the road mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. that brother didn't say he, he wasn't talking about women in a, in a fairest way or a misogynistic way. Mm-hmm. He wasn't talking about killing or shooting or boozing or drugging or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how he was uplifting his community, how three brothers can come together, right? Three brothers can come together and make music that it uplifts our people, brother. Mm-hmm. I want to come back because it's, it's interesting. I said, I, I want this to be a different conversation. You talk about in one of your interviews that you were not influenced to bring Christ into your life, to bring God into your life. Mm-hmm. God found his way to you. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Because many, many of us, and I'll even, I'll even be more vulnerable. I've always felt like the religion was forced upon me that I didn't find it myself. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled with that. I've, I've struggled with that. I, that I didn't find God and religion myself. Mm-hmm. But you talk about that, that you found him. Mm-hmm. What was that journey like for you to find God? And why do you continue to pour God into your work? Sure. Let me turn this air. I don't know if you hear that air. You hear that air? Go ahead. Go ahead. Do what you need to do, brother. We're good. There we go. All right. There so, you go. It's really simple and it's really relatable in terms of my journey towards finding God in a, in an everlasting way, not discovering who God is, but actually forming a relationship with God. It was brought about because I was finding identity in so many other things in the world. And there's four things that at the time I know I was finding identity in. And when all four of those things got taken away from me, I was like, whoa, I'm at a point now where I either have no identity and Mm -hmm. I'm lost or I have to realize that the mistake all along is that I was finding identity in things that can all be taken away. Meanwhile, when it comes to God, uh, when I find my identity you know, in Christ, that's when it's like, oh, this isn't, this is, this boat isn't going to sink. This isn't going to leave me at a certain point. So I was finding identity in the relationship I was in at the time as a young college student. I went to college, uh, largely influenced by the the girl I was with at the time. Um, we were in a relationship and, you know, I got, full scholarships to several other schools. I had really good grades and and test scores, but I went to the school. I went to LSU because that's where she was able to get into and and go. And when I got there, it's like the reason why I went there was an act of loyalty to show you Mm -hmm. that although I could be going all across the country, I'm going to come right here in our backyard, stay in our home state just because that's where you're going. And that same person ended up, you know, uh, deserting me and cheating on me and, mm. and you know, we, we end up breaking up, right? So I was finding a lot of identity in that relationship. So I saw how that could get taken away from me. I was definitely finding identity in my awards and my accomplishments that were coming from me being a star basketball player in high school and and me understanding that, oh, my achievements are contributing to, like, 
how good I feel about myself. So David feel David has this confidence partly because of these MVP trophies and these awards and distinctions that I'm getting. And then I get to college and my goal was to continue playing basketball. I, I was like, I could easily play at a small school, but I feel like I could play at a big school, a D1 school like LSU because I'm me. Like I MVP. I'm there, yeah, I'm a baller. So uh, I attempt to walk on to their team and I get cut. You know, I, I, I had a, I had a good shot to make it. I, I thought, but I ended up getting cut. So I didn't, I didn't make the, the cut. I didn't make their squad. So now all of a sudden you go from big man on campus to, whoa, I'm not even on the team anymore. I don't even know how it feels to not have a jersey, to not have that, just that swag that comes along with, yeah, like I'm I'm the star athlete. So that, I realized that that really crushed me because a big part of my identity was built into that. Another part of my identity was really being found in the friendships that I had and in feeling like, oh, I have this allegiance to this clique or to this crew. You know, for some people, that might be uh, friends that y'all essentially form like a brotherhood and y'all say, hey, we day ones, like we came in this thing together yeah, we'll be yeah. for life. And man, I realized in college that, bro, a lot of my friends, they really, they really started, you know, just scattering and going in different directions. Some of my friends started you know, selling drugs when we got to college. Some of my friends, I'm like, wait, we got to college. Like the goal wasn't to just get here. The goal was to graduate. You know, it's yeah. like some of my friends got to college and just felt like, all right, I made it. So, you know, I'm just here to do everything except for focus on the mission, which I thought the mission was for us to graduate. A lot of my friends didn't end up graduating because they just really got on some other stuff. So I started realizing that, if I had this blind loyalty to this, you know, to this clique that uh that, that I felt like, oh, this is my crew, then that blind loyalty would also take me away from, you know, the mission that I knew I had, which was to finish school. So I ended up falling out with uh, a lot of my original crew wow. that I started college with because they were just I was trying to walk that line of, man, I'm still y'all boy, I'm still David, but at a certain point, I got to go study. You know what I'm saying? At a certain yeah, point, yeah. we can't. Yeah, do we your can't thing, do brother. Yeah, we Scholarship. Can't Scholarship. Come on, Come on, man. At a certain point, bro, like I could chill. We could party. We could. At a certain point, bro, I got to go do some work. And at a certain point, I'm also not taking part in some of this stuff that y'all are off into. You know, um, um, and that, you know, that was the part that they looking like, oh, you, you know, kind of like goody two shoes or you think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That whole too white for us. Yeah, that, that part. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And the fourth thing that I was finding an identity in was life itself. And what I mean is when Hurricane Katrina hit in New Orleans, like I hadn't got to that point to where I even realized how quick something that, you know, like my house or my whole neighborhood, something that is just like normal to me that I'm taking for granted. This is going to be here forever. I didn't realize how quick those things could get taken away. You know, also mm-hmm. as, as my city, you know, it gets swept away right before my eyes. I'm also seeing real people who I knew and grew up with for the first time being like, man, this person got killed in Katrina. You know, this person died or this person, you know, got killed 
in the aftermath of Katrina, um, you know, just with, with what's going on and, and having to relocate and getting into it with people in different cities, I'm experiencing death in a real way to where I'm like, man, this, you know, e- even life itself, like I shouldn't put my identity in the things that I'm assuming are going to be here forever, whether it's right. people, whether it's a city, whether it's friendships, whether it's uh, intimate relationships or whether it's even status, you know, as as a certain achiever of of, of certain awards and, and, and all that. So when all that stuff got taken away from me within like a 12 month period, it left me in a space where I finally you know, had that encounter with God in a real way mm, that wasn't right. forced and that wasn't me going out because I wasn't going out looking for, for anything because I was like, man, I'm I'm good. I got love and, and affection and admiration all around me. And then all of a sudden I realized, man, that stuff got taken away. So that's where I realized the whole time that my relationship with God didn't have to be performative. You know, uh, with with the basketball team, it's a performative relationship. If I couldn't perform on a certain level, I ain't even good enough to make the team. You know what I'm saying? With with my girl uh, at the time, if I couldn't fulfill certain needs and desires she had on a certain level, I wasn't even qualified to be in relationship with her. I definitely saw with my friends, if I'm not rocking a certain way with y'all, y'all ain't even trying to hang around me no more. So with God, I realized it wasn't performative it was faith-based and it was like, do you believe? And, and are you willing to understand that like I created you and, and you literally are someone that I love you that much that like, you didn't even have to be created D you know what I'm saying? You weren't, you weren't just created by your mom and pops who made your mom and pops. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like all of this is very purpose driven in terms of why you're here in terms of, who you are and in terms of whose you are. And I finally came face to face with whose I was. And at that point, it just made me say, gotcha. So now my priorities have shifted to, you know, to showing uh, my admiration and my gratitude to you, God, on a daily basis for even, you know, caring about me and keeping me amidst all this other stuff. Cause now instead of saying, well, dang, my girl cheated on me or dang, I fell out with my friends or dang, Katrina hit, we lost our crib. I'm also thinking that's the, that's the negative side of things, but let me still think about the blessings that I do have despite that man, stuff. And I brother. realized man, my blessings were outweighing my burdens. Like all the time, tenfold, all, you know? all the time, all the time, brother. Thank you for, thank you for that. Because the, that was a, that was a masterclass as we, as we talk about, and and what I pull from this is that we things are taken the the worldly things are taken away from us all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. The belief and faith is our own. We control that. You couldn't mm-hmm. control your girl leaving. You couldn't control as much as you could, as much as you tried to. Yeah. You couldn't control making the team, yeah. right? You couldn't control your friends, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't control Hurricane Katrina. But mm-hmm. the one thing that we can control in our lives, right? And and it is so interesting because. I do this show not just for the fans. I do this show as a learning opportunity for myself, dear brother. So you are wow. you are you are teaching and pouring into me right now. I, I I'm getting a D one therapy session. So thank you. <laughs> uh, but the thing about it is, the one thing that I can control when people leave or resources leave or all of the doubt comes, 
I am in control of my faith and my walk. Mm-hmm. And once we have that rationale and that core belief that my belief in God, no one can take that away. Mm. No one. I am in control of that. No one can walk in the doors and say, I'm going to take this. I'm going to foreclose on this house. I'm going to take this car. I'm going to take all these things because you can't get this. My faith is mine. And that's the thing. And that, that's, that, that is the wonderful lesson of the day because this, this, this conversation that we've had, there's so many parallels that we've had, dear brother. I, I, I loved my high school sweetheart. I loved her, <laughs> right? Dear, I loved her. She left. She 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 left. I know the feeling. She she, she she left. I won't even say her name. She left. We we're we're good friends now. But she left, and it broke my it broke my heart. You know what I'm saying? Interestingly, and now, man, I've always been different. I've always been that dude. It was like you know, what? I'm gonna do this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You you lose friends. They come and go. People come and go. But your faith is your faith is yours, dear brother. And I, I, I look, man. That is the that is the seed that will grow and in, grow inside of me, in my mind, in my heart for so long. Thank you for that, brother. I know our our, our time is running short, but I want to I want to ask you this last question. Because again, as I said, that we parallel each other so much. I'm a, you know I'm a tad bit older, but I spent a long time in the classroom, bro, teaching our kids, right. What do you miss about being in front of those students? I miss I miss the ability to to have no middleman or no you know device between me and them. So that direct interaction that I would be able to get with them there's something they can't replace being able to look someone in their face, them being able to feel your spirit and feel that you genuinely love them. Although you may be challenging them to grow and although you may be having to correct them, um, coming from a place of affirmative love, but also transformational love and being able to, you know, uh, use both of those, you know, as, as like superpowers of mine in person that in-person experience can't be replaced. And I miss that the most, which is why it makes sense why I get like a different type of joy from doing live performances, you know, as D1, the rapper, or being able to do speaking engagements when, when I'm giving keynotes or when I'm facilitating workshops, anything that's in-person there is a level of yes. joy and satisfaction that I get from that. And it's, it, it's because I genuinely deep down miss getting that every day as a teacher yes. in the classroom. So, yeah. So that's why with some people, I never understand. I'm like, man, you have a captive audience right now. Captive. Listening to you speak or perform or whatever it is you're doing. Why do you, why are you not just like, exuding this joy and this, and this, this passion for what you're doing. Like, why are you so laid back and lax about it, man? This is the, this is the, the most amazing opportunity ever to have a captive audience that's listening to your life story or listening to the knowledge that you have ascertained over time and that you're now able to, you know, um, uh, translate and communicate to them. I'm like, how are you not, 
like passionate about that. So when I see people and I'm like, oh, that person is in the wrong profession. They don't love what they're doing. I, I, I can judge that based on seeing how they are in person when they interact with people. Cause you gotta be a, you gotta be, see that I'm in higher education now. So me being here at Harvard and doing a fellowship here, I've been told that, oh, in places like Harvard, they may have professors who they value that professor more for their research capabilities and the scholarly academic, you know, journals that they've been published in or the books that they've written. They may they may value you more for your research than your ability to teach and relate to your students. And I'm like, oh, that's different, because for me, education and interfacing with students has been rooted in, I want to be a master of the knowledge and of the subjects that I'm teaching. So that, that comes first. I want to master that, but it means nothing to be a master of a subject. If I can't articulate, you know, that or communicate that knowledge with love and with true Mm. admiration for the students that I'm serving and that I'm educating. So that's what I miss the most. Brother, I remember teaching and, and, one of the greatest joys of my life is that when you walk on, when you walk on stage, you hear the crowds roar D one, D one, D one. They are, they are spitting your lyrics as you say them word by word. I'll, I'll never have that experience, but the experience that I had teaching is similar to the experience that you have getting on that stage. I felt like a rock star. I felt like D1. I felt I could walk down the hall, Corpru, Mr. Corpru, dap you up. What's going on? I can't wait to get to class with you today. What's what's up, man? Cor- My kids that still see me, they're in their 30s now. Corpru, Dr. Corpru, all that. Th- man, do you know? And I still get the chills. I still think about those years of having an engaged audience, dear brother. Having folks say, you know what? I learned something about myself. I learned something about something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. I learned knowledge and wisdom that I can pass down to my kids. You remember the laughter that we had in your class, Mr. Corpru? <laughs> All of those things, right? That is what it feels like to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I employ you if you want to get to feel like you may not get the money that D1's got right now for because he honed his skills and moved. But if you want to feel like a rock star, go be a really, really, really good teacher Mm. at a place where kids will say, thank you for doing this work with me. Mm. Go find you an engaged classroom, Mm. right? Of folks that have not had anyone care for them before because of how they looked Mm. or what they were doing or where they came from. Mm. And I promise you, I promise you, you will feel just like D1 when he stands on the stage rocking the mic talking about God and his three brothers and slingshot David, all of the things that he's doing. Brother, I am so proud of you. I am humbled to have spent this last hour with you, you know, talking about your journey and your life and your revolution to be real, to be righteous, to be relevant, right, in this world. I wish you great success, brother. And I, all, all my revolutionaries, you need to go and listen for a long period of time to the work, to this brother's anthology of music that he's put out. 
Go start with the beginning. Go back to go back to 09. If you can find some earlier stuff, but go back to 09 where I started. Mm-hmm. And hear hear the hear the journey of this brother. And go find out who David Augustine Jr. is. Mm-hmm. All of this. And brother, thank you for what you put out into the world and the revolutionary that you are. You are amazing. You are a black man who is changing the game. Mm. Thank you so much, brother. Man, that means a lot to me. And I'll conclude by just saying this. When you speak about changing the game, I am excited that I just released my ninth album uh, two weeks ago. And for my ninth album, it's called God and Girls Part Two. And mm. in, an, in a continued effort to change the game, uh, we are getting messed over by the streaming platforms as artists because we make on average a third of a penny for every time our song gets uh, streamed online. So if someone listens to my album top to bottom, I would make a total of four cents from them streaming my album from top to bottom, right? Yes, about about four cents. That being said, um, I've been blessed with the courage and the boldness to be able to say, I'm going to take a different route with this release. And what I did was I created a website, so God and Girls 2, the number 2.com, and my fans now can go on that website and name their own price that they want to pay for my album. They get to literally name their own price and you still get the album. You can still stream it. You can still download it, but it provides an opportunity for my fans who have been saying, D, how can I most tangibly support you? I I, I love what you represent D and, and I, I support you as a man and as an artist. So I've allowed people to go on and name their price. I'll still eventually put the album on the traditional streaming platforms um, just for new fans who may not have heard of me yet. But for my existing fan base, I've been imploring people to come to my website, get the art directly from the artist. And now you can know that you, it's like when people say, well, if I donate this money to this organization, is it going to actually get to the people or is it going to get caught up in, you know, uh, people's salaries and all this stuff instead of right. getting to the intended target. So if you want your consumption, you know, to actually support the artist, you can go to um, name your own price at God and Girls, the number two dot com. And people have been blowing my mind by I've seen people pay up to a thousand dollars for my album. Wow. I've seen wow. people pay literally five hundred dollars, three hundred dollars for the album, all the way to ten, five, fifteen dollars for the album. But it's all good either way because I'm knowing that. That's based on a direct relationship that I have with the people. And there's no platform that's separating us from one another. So I appreciate everyone who may be um, watching this, who has already gotten it. And if you haven't gotten it yet, but if you enjoy what I do, the art that I create, the ideas that I represent and that I put out there into the world, um, get the art directly from me. So God and Girls 2. Dot com uh, and I'm D one D E E dash one so just I'm Googleable you heard me you can look me yeah, up anyway. yeah, you, you heard me you heard me say bro I'm truly grateful revolutionaries make sure you go out God and Girls two Make sure you support this brother, this New Orleans brother, this New Orleans East brother, this uh, Audubon Montessori brother, right? This LSU brother, this good brother from New Orleans, right? And as you know, we talk about this. I love, I love New Orleans and I hope my folks are doing, our folks are doing well. 
Brother, if there's anything I can ever do for you to support you, to uplift you, to provide anything for your revolution, please let us know. And revolutionaries, you know, as I ask you all the time, be ready. Be ready for your revolution. Mm. Right. And then go out and do it because, you know, it is the most thought provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? We'll talk to you soon. I love you. I love you. I love you. Talk to you soon, revolutionaries. like to put it you've been a revolution in rap mm. you know so I would love to talk about what that feels like for you to be you know a difference maker um, I grew up I'm a child of the 70s the 80s and you know 90s 90s hip hop you know and you're something different you're you're something totally different that people have gravitated to and this your story I think is so amazing but you've told your story so many times in other interviews I'm going to try to make this something different, right? Everybody, you know, everybody that comes on my show, they've done other interviews. I was like, I don't want people to hear the same thing that they can Google. So I'm going to ask you some questions, different things to really illuminate your thoughts around where you are, around hip hop, around what's the revolution in hip hop, what's your revolution in hip hop, things like that. So um, we'll go for about, you know, 40 minutes. And we'll, we'll cut it there. I know your time is short, man. I see you. I, I see you at Harvard. So, want to hear about that? Uh, what it means to be the Nasir Hip Hop Fellow at Harvard? How that is? How that has been for you? So, it means nothing to be a master of a subject if I can't articulate, you know, that or uh, communicate that knowledge with love and with true admiration for the students that I'm serving and that I'm educating. Brother, I am so proud of you. 